Our Old Testament passage comes from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, 1 through 9. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter has, was sent by hand of Elisah, son of Shaphan, and Jamariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You remember all of them. <laughs> it said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God within us, and for the word of God amongst us. Thanks be to God. Uh, when our daughter Paloma turned three on her on her third birthday uh, Natasha and I went into her bedroom and we woke her up and she looked up at us in kind of a fog and we said happy birthday and it dawned on her today was her birthday the day that she had been waiting for pretty much all year and so she didn't respond she didn't say anything back to us she just pops out of bed and she goes over to the mirror in her room looks at herself and drops her shoulders in disappointment. <laughs> we asked her, what, what was wrong? And she said, I don't look like I'm three. <laughs> she was expecting to wake up the next morning and to look like a three-year-old, not like a two-year-old. And I think at New Year's, we do the same thing. We wake up New Year's Day and all of a sudden we are new people. Fat, messy, and lazy, that was 2019. <laughs> 2020, we're going in with a plan. We're going to be different. Uh, New Year's Day, I organized my closet. I put, in, uh, I put in some shelves, and I put in some cubbies and, and places to put my shoes. Uh, and I went to Home Depot to get this storage stuff, and lo and behold, all this closet storage stuff, as well as the garage storage stuff, was on sale. They knew I was coming. They were prepared to profit off of those of us who were going to do the new year differently. We are going to be new people. 
And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have these aspirations and these goals that we would aspire to. That, and in order to do that, we would visualize ourselves as completing those goals. That's important. That's great. That's good. But I think sometimes what happens is we have a tendency to get lost and stuck in visualizing who we could be and who we want to be, and we miss who God is calling us to be today. And that's exactly what's going on for the Jewish people in this letter. The religious leaders, the other prophets had been telling them, don't unpack your bags, we're only going to be here in exile in Babylon for a short period of time. Yes, we've been captured, that was rough, but don't worry. God's going to come and, and, and sweep us away, and before you know it, we'll be back in Jerusalem. And so, just be prepared. Be prepared to be back in Jerusalem. The prophet Jeremiah has a different message. His message from God is, you need to get comfortable. This is your new life. You're not going anywhere. And he gives this line, this, this line that's really inspiring, to, to seek the welfare of the city, or seek the prosperity of the city, or seek the peace of the city, to seek the shalom of the city. And for those of us, when we hear that, that sentence, we think, yeah, what a great thing. Many of you are working day in and day out to seek the shalom, the peace, the prosperity, and the welfare of this city. So that it would be a better city. But that's not what's going on for these people. They're not being told to seek the prosperity of their own city. They're being told to seek the prosperity of the city of the people who captured them. Their enemies. They should invest in the welfare of their captors. And this foreign city... I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot different. It doesn't sound like good news. It sounds like loving your enemy in the way that, like, I don't think Jesus meant it. Like, that's too extreme. <laughs> and for many of us, we are in these places where we don't want to be. We feel stuck in them. We feel dragged to them. We feel underappreciated in them. Maybe the place that we once knew and loved, the, the family that we once understood, we now feel stuck and we don't understand them. And we are visualizing what it would be like to go back to how it was or to get to a place that would be different. But I think in this moment, we are called to seek the welfare and the prosperity and the peace of the place that we are in today. Now, Jeremiah gives three ways that they are supposed to seek the peace, prosperity, the shalom of the city. They are supposed to build homes and live in them. They're supposed to plant gardens and eat the produce. And they're supposed to get married 
and do married things. Old-fashioned married things for those of you who are... <laughs> and these three things, I think, actually are pretty subversive. Now, they can't come across as investing in the infrastructure of Babylon. You're building homes in, on property that you don't own. That's building the wealth of the Babylonians. You're being asked to farm in probably soil that is unfarmable. They put them probably on some hard pan that no one has ever farmed before. And to be told to farm on that soil, to transform that soil into fertile soil, increases the, the economy of Babylon. It could seem that expanding the numbers of the residents of Babylon then just makes Babylon's empire even more powerful. But I think ultimately these are subversive acts. It says in the scripture that the group of people that were brought into Babylon were people like the artisans and the smiths, not the band, like the, the blacksmiths or the stonesmiths or the woodsmiths. <laughs> and they're told to build houses. And they're not going to build houses like Babylonians. They're not going to use Babylonian architecture. No, they're going to build the kind of houses that they know how to build. And pretty soon after a while, their neighborhood, their ghetto, is going to look like a little Jerusalem. It happens all the time throughout the world. It happens in our country, happens in our own city. Downtown, you have little Armenia. Across the freeway, you have Chinatown. And Chinatown looks like China. Well, like it once might have looked like. And pretty soon, people are walking through the streets of Babylon, and they feel transported back. And it starts to feel a little bit like home. Not like they're in caves, not like they're in cages, but like they're in their own homes. They're told to plant gardens. Next week, quick little plug for Lucky Lucky is one of my, my favorite people who is doing some of the most amazing work in our city, who is bringing, working to seek the shalom of our city by uh, supporting refugee families uh, throughout Fresno. And if you go to some of the apartment complexes that these refugees live in, I remember back in the day in southeast Fresno visiting an apartment complex that, uh, all, that uh, only Hmong refugees lived in. Uh, any patch of dirt that they had, even if it was this big, they were growing produce on it. And it wasn't just to, to save money or to be frugal or because it's hip now. No, they were growing their own produce, the, the food, the, the produce that they couldn't get at Save Mart. Somehow somebody had smuggled seeds along the way and they're growing their vegetables in order to make their recipes. And we know the power of a recipe. 
an heirloom recipe that's been passed on from generation to generation, that you can be sitting in a Southeast Fresno apartment, but as soon as you take a sip back, you are transported to Laos. Lastly, they're told to get married. And these ceremonies would not just be going to the courthouse and getting the Babylonian judge to sign your marriage papers. This would be a, a week-long celebration with different traditions every single day. It would be their way of doing weddings. And these traditions that Jewish people still incorporate into their weddings today. Again, it would bring them back, just like those of us who are married, when we sit in the pews and, and we listen to a couple reciting their vows, it brings us back to the moment that we recited our vows with our spouse. And all these things have this power, this power to remind them of who they are, remind them that they are not Babylonians. They are Hebrew people. They are the Jews. They are Israel. They are the people of God. And the ability to have this identity builds back this confidence. This ability to keep their, their chin up after being beat down by the Babylonians. These rituals and these traditions have this ability to empower them. To humanize them, once again to rehumanize them. And as valuable as that is, it's not just this individual identity. It's not just this individual worth or this communal identity or this nationalism. But all these traditions, the purpose for the Jewish tradition, every single one of them was to remind them that they belong to God and God belongs to them. They don't belong to Nebuchadnezzar. They don't belong to the Babylonian Empire. They belong to God. So there's this balance. There's this balance that Jeremiah asked them to walk with. To be present and seek the shalom of the city. The verb is to go and seek it out in the city. It's not this proselytizing of we've brought these things with them and we're going to pass them on to the Babylonians. To seek it out means that, that the shalom already exists in the city. The work of God already exists in enemy territory, believe it or not. And your job is to go out and find it within the Babylonians' life to build relationships with them. And to find God in the most unlikely of places. And as you're going out and seeking God in this Babylonian city, at the same time you've got these rituals, these mantras, these beads that you're rotating through your hands that are reminding you of who you truly are. So in this year... I invite you to walk with balance. This balance of being present in the place that you are in, 
even if it is where you don't want to be. <clears throat> that even in exile, even in captivity, you would seek God out in it. But you are not complacent. You are not giving up. You are not rolling over. Pick up some rituals. Maybe they aren't protests in the streets, but they are small and they are subversive. They are effective. They have the ability to lift your chin and remind you of who you are. You are not this dead-end job. You are not a part of this group where you feel left out. No, you are the child of God. You belong to God, and God belongs to you. So how will you seek the shalom of the city that you are in? What rituals will you take up? What rhythms and practices will you incorporate to remind you of your identity? Amen. For many of us, this place coming every week is one of those rituals. And when we show up here, maybe there are others who are critical and don't understand who we are, but when we come up to this place, there are people who know who we are and celebrate who we are. And so in order to keep this going, in order to create a space not just for us but for others, we give to it. We give of our time and we give of our money. We think of how to do woven better, how to make it more hospitable. We think about who needs to be here and how we can create a space for them. So what we want to do is we want to stop and we want to listen to how God is calling us to give to this place. How does God want to give of our finances to this place? How does God want us to give our time? How does God want us to give who we are to this place? And as we think about how God is calling us to give to this place, let's think about how God is calling us to give outside of this place as well. <clears throat>